Thank you for being here this morning. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. My name is John, and as a congregation, we are making our way through actually a very familiar book in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. And this morning, we're in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you could open your Bibles uh, to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Little, little theologians, I hope it was encouraging for you to see uh, those uh, high school seniors uh, honored uh, for their work. Little theologians, as you listen to this sermon, I'd like for you to work on a drawing for me, and uh, if you can, save that drawing that I might be able to keep it, uh, put it in my, uh, in my big uh, stack of artwork from Little Theologians. Have you ever drawn a picture or, or built a, a, a structure out of cards, like Uno cards, made something out of just a stack of cards? triangle on top of triangle on top of triangle. You ever done that before, little theologians? Well, if you have, I'd like for you to draw a picture of someone uh, building a house, but not out of Uno cards, but building a house out of toothpicks. How about that? A house made from toothpicks. And if you can, uh, draw a picture of someone living very happily in that toothpick house. Little theologians, I'm glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Proverbs chapter 3. Before we uh, read this passage uh, together, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you uh, come to us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. We thank you that he is uh, the embodied word. We thank you, uh, Father, for speaking to us with actual words. Holy Scripture opened up before us. You are speaking to us. We, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your preacher. But most of all, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit gives us understanding of who you are through your word. We thank you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with all your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For as the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of our Lord. I wonder if anyone here has ever bragged. And I also wonder if anyone here has bragged Um, and then not been able to do that very thing that they had bragged about being so good at. Has that ever happened? I didn't ask uh, my kids if anyone even uses the word uh, brag anymore. They might not. To brag is to boast. All of us have bragged that we could do something, 
and then failed at it. Or all of us have uh, not uh, bragged and tried, but we've bragged about something publicly, and then we've gone to bed at night wondering ourselves if we could actually do that which we bragged about. And I want us to think about this passage from Proverbs chapter 3 as a, a plea from a father to a son, and it's a son who brags. A plea by a father to a son who brags. And the father seems to know how common it is for a son to be so very confident and yet at the same time or moments after forget everything, neglect everything, and cease loving the father at all. One wonders if uh, when the father begins with my son, that affectionate phrase really, really betrays what he knows to be true in his heart, and that is that this son of mine will brag to be such a very good son will brag about keeping the teaching and commandments that I give to him. And yet within minutes, that confidence, it will just go away because he will himself prove that he does not hold my teachings and commandments near to his heart. He forgets them. And not only does he forget them, he seems to have neglected uh, even to love me and be faithful towards me. This is a father who's pleading with his son when he says, my son. But if truth be told, we actually know how this feels on the, on the side of bragging about something but not following through. We, we, we know how this feels as Christian people. We love being united to Jesus Christ. And uh, in the best of moments, we'll tell others how much we love belonging to Jesus. Uh, we are confident that we uh, have followed him, and we are confident that we will uh, follow him more and more in the future. But we know too well, don't we, what will often happen. We will show in some way with our lives, in uh, our actions or our speech, or certainly in our thoughts, we will show that, well, we have forgotten our Lord and Savior. We're not uh, protecting His teaching and commandments in our heart. We're neglecting Him. And we know this. We know that our speech and our actions and our thoughts can be nowhere near the one with whom we have boldly said we love and adore. The Proverbs is about practical life. It's about walking day by day in our ordinary Christian life. The word walk has appeared numerous times in the book of Proverbs, even up to chapter 3. And you can see in verse 6, uh, the writer, King Solomon, says to his, to his son, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He says, he will make straight your paths. Those are words about practical, ordinary life. That's what wisdom is after. Practical, ordinary life. And you know what this, uh, what this uh, father is saying to his son, and what this passage is saying to us, is that we are never as full of devotion to God in our walk as we think. We are never as full of devotion to God in our Christian walk as we think. Sometimes the simplest, most ordinary aspects of practical life can prove that we don't love Him very much at all. We're never as full of devotion in our walk as we think. And so we need to take precautions. That's what this passage is about. The father telling his son, you're nowhere near as full of devotion as you're bragging about, and so you need to take precautions. And, and as the father speaks to his son, I think he speaks um, uh, along uh, three different lines. Uh, uh, first of all, he tells his son about the reality of this problem, the realities, verses 1 through 4. 
And then uh, in verse 5, he switches and he talks not about the reality of this problem, but he actually calls out the obstacle or the challenge. This is the real difficulty with you, my son. The reality, the obstacle, and finally at the very end, the last two verses, he offers to his son a promise. And I think that the last two verses are the conclusion of the father's speech to his son, at least to this section. And it ought to be the conclusion of the sermon, and it is. So, the reality of the obstacle and the promise. Uh, Listen to uh, how the father describes to his son uh, the reality of the son's Christian walk in verses 1 through 4. He begins by saying, My son, do not forget my teaching. And, he says, let your heart keep or protect my commandments. The father seems to know something about the son, doesn't he? He knows that the son is prone to forgetfulness. He actually forgets the dad's teaching, and the the father, he calls it out. And he also knows that the son uh, not merely forgets the teaching of his father, but he actually uh, neglects the teaching of his father. He doesn't protect it or guard it in his heart. And the father, he knows this. He knows that this is the reality of the ordinary Christian life. The son, he might forget Forgetfulness is a matter of the mind. There's something about the memory of the teachings of uh, the Father uh, that just kind of fall right out of the Son's mind. He cannot recall the teaching of His Father. But He also says, not only is my Son prone to forgetfulness, He's prone to neglect. You see that expression in verse 1, let your heart keep my commandments. Isn't Isn't that a unique expression? The teaching may actually, according to the Father, make it to the Son's heart. Think about that. The teaching, it might actually make it to His heart. But then the Son, He doesn't doesn't guard and protect it when it's in His heart. And instead, He opens up the gates of His heart that the Father's teaching would be stolen, like going to bed at night and not locking the gate and getting up in the morning and seeing that someone is taken off with your bike. The, the Father, He knows this about the Son. He, my teaching can sometimes be right there in my Son's mind, right there in my Son's heart. But then it slips from His memory, and it's stolen away from His heart. Now, this is not really a happy way to think about the Christian life, is it? Forgetfulness and neglect. We don't want to think about that. We, want that. we don't want that to be called out, but just stop for a moment. What if the Father didn't call this out? What if the Father didn't know this about you? The Father knows your life, and He knows how your life really unfolds day by day. And you can even see that there's this grand promise that uh, it will be hard to remember and hard to protect. Uh, See what the Father says in verse 2. He says, the length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. And yet even with that promise, the ordinary Christian life is one of forgetfulness and neglect. You jump down to verse 4, and the Father says that favor and success before God and before others will be yours. But in many ways, these grand promises, they don't matter much because the Father understands how His Son's heart and mind work. And don't we feel this? We love Jesus, but He seems to impact surprisingly small amounts of our lives. Not only is the Father's uh, teaching at risk, but look what happens in verse 3. You see there that reference to steadfast love and faithfulness? I don't think that this is the steadfast love and faithfulness of God or of the Father 
Many commentators see in this that this is what the son is supposed to have, maybe once had, but he's forsaken it. He's let it fall by the wayside. He's failed to remember his father's teaching. He's failed to keep that teaching in his heart. And now look what has happened. The love and faithfulness that he ought to have for the father, it's abandoned. And what do we think of a son or a daughter who says to his parents, I remember most of what you said, and more or less I take it to heart. And the parent is going to question if the son or daughter actually does love them and is faithful to them. They're not taking uh, their teaching seriously. But what if the son or the daughter says, I cannot remember a thing that you taught me and nothing that you said to me remains in my heart at all? Well, then what do the parents think? Well, they would think that all steadfast love and faithfulness are gone. And this seems to be a real risk, even amidst God's people. Listen to what the prophet Hosea says to Israel. This is from Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Just listen to this, just for a moment. Hosea says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. You hear that affection? For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. Uh, they break all bounds, and bloodshed, bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. You see what's happened to the people whom Hosea is speaking to. They did forsake steadfast love for God. They did forsake faithfulness to God. In other places, love for God and faithfulness to God is all over the book of Proverbs. What a grave thing this son is at risk of doing to his father. You hear then in verse 3 the desperate advice of the father. I think it's appropriate for us to consider this desperate advice. He says to his son, bind my teaching, bind my commandments right around your neck. You see that? That's a tone of desperation. And write them on the tablet of your heart. He's, he's pleading with his son and he's evoking images that come from Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy. A, a necklace might symbolize teaching that actually uh, is worn upon one's nape and protects one's heart. Or maybe uh, that uh, imagery of, of a necklace is uh, a guidance for the son. It's a necklace that goes before the son as he walks into his ordinary life. Or it could be that this necklace is something that is displayed to others. Others would see on this son the teaching and commandments of the son's father. And certainly the teaching should be uh, written upon the heart. The heart is the origin of all of those things that we think and all of those things that we uh, do and all of those emotions and affections that we have. They start at the heart and the Father pleads, write them on your heart. May your heart be submissive in all ways to my teaching. The teaching should mold the heart, not the heart molding the teaching. You know, we've seen Christians, haven't we, who seem to have done this rather well. Uh, we see in their lives and we hear from their speech that they wear God's teachings around their necks, that they write God's teachings upon their hearts. But even though we know Christians who do excel at that, no one excels at that like Jesus our Savior. This is His great affection for us that He's done all of these things perfectly. Uh, Jesus our Savior 
He's had the teachings of the Father hanging around his neck from his very birth. And in fact, he's had the teachings of the Father even before the foundations of the world. The teachings of his Father have guided him, have protected him, and have been on display for the the entire world to see. Jesus, he wrote his Father's teachings on his very heart so that the Father's teaching would direct his every thought and direct his every action and direct his every emotion. What is his Father saying to us? You're not as strong as you think, Christian. You're prone to do all of this. Take precautions. You're the kind of person that needs to take precautions. This is the reality of the Christian walk, but look what the, look what the Father moves to in verse 5. He describes the obstacle. He actually calls out what it is that is the obstacle to the Son's love and devotion to His Father. Why aren't we as great as we think we are? And if there could be one word, I think the one word in verses 5 through 10 is actually selfishness. We are so focused on ourselves. Why aren't we as great as we think we are in our devotion to God? We're just so selfish. I think there's four ways in this section, verses 5 through 10, in which uh, the Father describes selfishness. As Christians, by the way, shouldn't we know very well how selfishness works? Listen to this wisdom of the Father. He says in verse 5, do not lean on your own understanding. The first, abstic- uh, first aspect of our selfishness is that we trust ourselves. We actually lean upon our own understanding. You know what it means to prop something up, to put a car on a jack stand? To prop something up is to place all of the weight of that vehicle on a jack stand. We actually prop up our own lives with our own understanding. That word for understanding can refer to, ele- to intelligence or rationalizations or you know, even to our, our very reason, our sense-making mechanism. And how we understand life, well, that's what we lean on. That's what props up our lives. It's not the work of God, but it's the strength of our own reason. And because of this prop, we will never fully trust the Lord with our whole heart. We trust that prop we trust ourselves. The second aspect of, of, our, of our selfishness is the Father says that we, in verse 6, we study ourselves. We trust ourselves, but we study ourselves. Look what he says in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Him. But we instead acknowledge ourselves. To acknowledge something is to make it the central focus of our study. And we can be so deeply committed to studying ourselves, can't we? eyes inward, looking at our hearts, trying to discern exactly who we are, studying ourselves that we might have a rationalization for our tastes, for our dreams, for our identity, and today even our sexuality. We are such firm and devoted students to ourselves. Well, there's something wrong with that, Christianity says. Christianity teaches us that to know ourselves requires that we know God who is our creator. Uh, When we make ourselves the center of our study, we don't discern ourselves and we don't discern God. Christianity tells us that if we make Him the center of our study, if we acknowledge Him, then, then and only then will we finally be able to understand who we are as individuals 
Only then will we understand our tastes and our dreams and our identity and our sexuality. It's through knowing Him. Uh, We trust ourselves. We study ourselves. We also justify ourselves. Look at verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes, the Father says. We make ourselves the final judge of wisdom, which means all of our decision-making, all of our ordinary life, we assess with our own judgment. We say things like this about ourselves. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing pretty good. And in fact, I'm doing better today than I was this time last year. I'm not perfect, but I'm okay. Better than most on a good trajectory. The person who gets lost in these kinds of mental meanderings is never going to fear the Lord. They haven't time to fear and revere the Lord. They're too busy justifying themselves. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Let God be the one who assesses you and speaks truth about you and comments upon even your ordinary life. We trust ourselves, we study ourselves, we justify ourselves. There's the last one, I think, in verse 9. We enlarge ourselves. Honor the Lord with your, with your wealth. Uh, literally, that is property. And honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your produce. But we instead enlarge ourselves. I take this to mean that every good thing that we possess, big or small, we, we think of it as, as, as being for ourselves, but it's not for ourselves. Our money and our career and our health and our friendships, we use all of this for ourselves. But the good that we are working towards, the good that we possess, is always smaller than the good that God has and always smaller than the good that He gives to us. Our enlarging of our goods ultimately come from His plentiful reserve of goods. He has all things. He gives to us what He finds to be fit for us. You see what the Father is doing here in these four aspects. We trust ourselves, we study ourselves, we justify ourselves, we enlarge ourselves, and all of this just to show how selfish we are. None of these things really are necessarily wrong. We should use our understanding and reason. God hasn't called us to turn off our intellect. But all of our planning, all of our uh, best intentions and dreams for what we're going to do with our lives, that should never be the prop of our lives. That should never be where we find our peace and contentedness in life. And they certainly should never remove the trust that we're called to have in God. And we should study ourselves. We should be aware of our strengths and our weaknesses, but we should make sure that our life is not all about being true to myself. That's not what your life is for. You, to be true to yourself, that's not why God made you. God made you for Himself, His own possession. We should make sure that our life is not about being true to ourselves, but about acknowledging God and being true to Him and His will for our lives. We should study ourselves, but we should always acknowledge Him. 
We should seek to justify our behavior in some way, shouldn't we? I mean, to be wise in our own eyes could sometimes be confirmation that we know what we're doing, that we have uh, confidence. Uh, uh, Paul said that he had confidence in the Lord over and over again, even with small decisions like what to eat and what to drink. But that confidence and that good conscience, uh, that should never be what ultimately justifies us. What justifies us is God's sizing us up. If we're to justify ourselves at all, it is merely, merely to do this. Praise and revere and fear the one true God. To submit all of our self-assessment to His assessment of us. He knows us. And He judges us. And then finally, we should enlarge ourselves, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we work hard? Uh, Shouldn't we multiply our influence for God's kingdom? Uh, Shouldn't we uh, expect to multiply in in wealth and in good and in growth? But God, He's the possessor of all that is good, and, and we should show Him this by giving Him our first fruits. We're called to grow and to multiply everything good that we have it needs to be handed over to God for His own purposes in our life. You hear what the Father is saying to His Son as He unfolds in four different layers what selfishness looks like. What is the obstacle? Why aren't we as great as we think? Because we're so selfish. What's really wonderful about this passage and where the Father, I think, finishes this train of thought is in verses 11 through 12. The father uh, tells uh, the son quite boldly uh, that the son is living uh, in a way in which he is tempted to forsake God. This is the reality of the Christian life. And he says to the son that this obstacle is selfishness. But we're never as full of devotion to God in our walk as we think. But the father is always full of devotion for us. There's a difficulty, I think, in applying uh, the Father's advice in such a way that all we are called to do as Christians is to uh, follow rules and regulations. You know, if we just stop here, that really we're, we're commanded to just act and be better people, I don't think that's what Proverbs 3, 1 through 12 is telling us. No, this, this passage is telling us how great the Father's love is for His children. You know, we are called to be the kind of people who are aware of ourselves, but not so that we might fix ourselves, but rather so that we might fully worship the one who has saved us. Wisdom is walking in life for the power of a secure relationship with the Father. You remember we've talked about this? Wisdom is about relationship. Wisdom is about walking with God, not proving ourselves to God. Wisdom is about cherishing a relationship that He initiates. Wisdom is not about earning that relationship. And notice in verse 11 how affectionate the Father is. He opened with my son, and He repeats it again in verse 11. My, my son. He makes this promise to the son, and it may not be the kind of promise you'd like to hear, but you should, and I should. The promise is that there will be discipline, that there will be reproof. Discipline and reproof. 
How unlikely we are to think of these as uh, positive expressions of a relationship with God, but they are. They're quoted in uh, Revelation, and they're quoted in Hebrews, this very uh, 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 verse. And where it's quoted, it's quoted positively, affirmatively, as a proof that that discipline and reproof can only come from someone who loves us. He makes a promise to the Son, this Father, that there will be discipline and reproof. The promise is that you're never left to your own devices. Can you imagine how dangerous you would be if you were left to your own devices? If God just gave to you a book of regulations and your job was simply to to follow out, deliver on those regulations, if God just gave to you a punch list and that was your job, to make your way down the punch list, do you know how unloving that would be? God, He says, you're not alone in your walk in wisdom. To be alone would be so horrible. But the Father is there. He's with you and He's guiding you. My son, the Father says, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. Why? For the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. Isn't that astounding? Are you here this morning, you profess faith in Jesus Christ, and that is not astounding to you, that the Lord not only loves you, but that He delights in you, actually cherishes that relationship. It's so hard, isn't it, to hear that we are never as full of devotion to God in our walk as we think. We brag so much, and that's difficult to hear. And the temptation is for us to just double down and to just apply precaution after precaution. But let's not forget this. Part of the precaution is here in verses 11 and 12. And in fact, maybe this is the very uh, full thrust of the precaution in these two verses. The precaution is for you to receive the love and delight that God has for you. To know that even though you're forgetful and negligent, And even though uh, you are selfish in four different ways, God loves you and He delights in you. This is a great value of Christianity. Christianity is very honest about who we are, tells us exactly who we are. And Christianity uh, never paints a picture of a God who looks back and boasts over us, is proud of us because of our works and everything that we've done that's not Christianity. Christianity is about the one who has overcome every sin and temptation, covering us with his righteousness. Christianity is very honest about who we are, but who we are never overcomes who he is. The God who instructs us, who demands our submission, who, deci- who disciplines us is also the God who loves us in Christ and delights over us. Doesn't that put everything else into perspective? You're not left to your own devices. You have a guide, someone who is with you. And that relationship that you have is because of God's love for you. And in Christ Jesus, He delights over you. That puts all of the teaching of the Father into perspective so that it's not a sad tale. It's a glorious promise and it's a promise of something that, this, that the Father cannot do, but that His one true God can and has done to those who profess faith in Jesus. 
When the father says, my son, the great gift he has for that son is not something he can give, but something the one true God can and has given him in Christ. That's our reminder this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we wish to admit that we are never full, as full of devotion to you as we think. We ask that you would forgive us. Our boasting is inappropriate. Our boasting is a lie. But Heavenly Father, you continue to delight in us, not because we uh, are somehow better than we think we are. We are that bad off. But Heavenly Father, you love us in Christ. We thank you so much for your delight. In Jesus' name, amen.